0: Welcome to the brownstein hyatt farber Shrek podcast series. As the first month of Donald Trump's presidency comes to an end, brownstein hyatt farber Shrek's most recent podcast series provides updates on the new administration's impact on crucial issues facing businesses. Brownstein's strategic advisor, Senator Mark Begich, moderates bipartisan discussions with the firm's Washington, DC policy professionals and attorneys on tax and trade, financial services, immigration, energy, and healthcare. In this episode, Policy Directors Michael Levy and Lori Haru discuss the time frame for tax reform, the deductibility of business interest, impacts on mezzanine and middle market financing, and touch on border adjustability.
1: Hi, this is Mark Baggage, former Senator from Alaska. I'm a strategic advisor for Brownstein, and we're bringing you a series of podcasts on many of the issues that Congress will be dealing with. And not only will you hear about uh, the big topics, but what's happening behind the scenes and probably some information you haven't heard yet. So we're excited to bring these to you. We are joined this morning with Lori Haryu and Michael Levy to discuss taxes and trade. Uh, once again, we're doing uh, some more podcasts today on taxes and trade, big issues. First, I want to introduce Michael. Uh, he's been policy director at Brownstein, has been with the firm for 22 years, one of the longest, I think, with the firm, which yeah. is the longest. I like when he corrects me. This is very good. Prior to Brownstein, Michael was assistant secretary of legislative affairs for the U.S. Department of Treasury and senior advisor to Treasury Secretary Robert Rubin. With government experience that spans decades, Michael also worked as chief of staff to former U.S. Senator Lloyd Benson and as a staff economist at the Joint Economic Committee. Welcome, and thank you very much for being here. And a very special welcome to Lori our newest member. We have the oldest and the newest member sitting here today of the Brownstein team. Lori joined Brownstein at the beginning of the year and brings more than two decades of political and legislative experience to Brownstein. Coming from the Hill, Lori served as chief of staff in in office of U.S. Representative Kevin Brady chairman of House Ways and Means Committee. And at Ways and Means Committee, at Ways and Means, she also served as a senior advisor. Prior to Capitol Hill, Lori served as a political appointee for President George W. Bush as head of all congressional intergovernment affairs for the International Trade Administration, U.S. Department of Commerce. Lori, thank you very much for joining us today and welcome to the firm. Thank you very much. Absolutely. This is a great opportunity to talk about. Some big issues that uh, Congress is starting to move forward on, and, and we'll take tax as our first subject matter, if that's okay. And, you know, it's interesting when, this, when the president got elected, uh, the discussion was tax issue, tax policy is going to be important. They talked about it during the campaign. We're now here, a lot of activity in Washington, and it seems like this one's moving a little faster than most people anticipated. And I'd say faster, not necessarily with legislative action, but a lot of discussion about what a policy could be. So I guess my first question to either one of you, maybe maybe we'll start uh well actually I'll start with the new one first. Uh, Laurie, <laughs> uh and that is kind of what what do you see right now? And and we know in Washington things change rapidly, yeah, but right now, kind of what's the picture uh that you see could just coming off the hill of where it's gonna go or tax policy might go or might not go. What's your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I think sometimes um, people forget that Ways and Means has been working on tax reform behind the scenes for over eight years. And um, so the committee itself is probably much more prepared and ready to go. Um, And I think we can go back to when former chairman Dave Camp introduced his discussion draft. Good point. That was back, I think, in 2011 and or maybe it was 2012 i don't know
3: although the years it all, blurs, years, it all blurs after a while
2: <laughs> anyway um and i know that with when he introduced that he actually basically in many members minds on the committee made it inevitable the tax reform will happen cuz he showed whether you agreed with what he did or what he didn't do he showed it could be done and so since that time it's evolved and and now they've come up with the blueprint and certainly um, the com- from the committee's perspective, committee on Ways and Means, um, that is something that they plan and will be it's working on. It's a big priority. At. It's a big priority, and they hope to have it by the president to the president's desk by August of this year. Of this year, although certainly the Senate will have a big uh, say right. in that.
1: Uh, Michael, tell me, you know, you worked in the Senate a lot, you um, and obviously through the work here at Brownstein And in Brownstein's as a firm, we spend a lot of time, it seems, around tax policy and trade policy. How do you see – Laurie kind of laid the house, and I think you're right. They have several proposals are going to kind of start moving. How do you see the, the, the Senate moving or not moving?
3: Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, I think that Laurie set the, the table properly. Dave Camp laid it out, and Dave Camp said this is within the four corners of the existing paradigm of how we do taxes. These are the changes you have to make to get the top rate down and the corporate rate down, because that's what they're really concerned about the most. And members said, wow, I mean, I don't like this, and I don't like that, and I don't like this, that, and the other. And all of a sudden, they realized that's very tough to pass this politically, even though it's from a tax policy expert's point of view, not my own, but everyone else in town who really is truly expert in the code. It was a lovely piece of work. Democrats and Republicans said, great piece of work. So uh, Chairman Brady and... uh, former chairman and now uh, speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, said, we need to break this open, create a whole new omelet with whole new cracked eggs. And they came up with a very sophisticated new idea that has had support on the left and on the right from a variety of intellectual tax policy experts. Mm It's complicated, though. right? And like anything else in tax policy, you create winners and you create losers. And the losers scream while the winners go, hmm, interesting. Right. And that makes for a little political asymmetry. Do you
1: think the, the Senate um, – I mean, Lori laid out an interesting timetable that they're thinking about on the House side, August. Uh, it always, in my tenure there, uh, it always seemed to be – I'll send something over, then the Senate puts like the slow brakes on and it gets, gets slower. Do you think August is a reasonable?
3: Or do no, you think they will no, be a I, lot I don't, because the White House has been too slow out of the box, and they've oh, they so, just got their Treasury Secretary. So they're right, not and, and they didn't plan really on what the proposal would look like in any great depth before. They don't have legislative language. I don't believe they may have some principles they want to articulate. If the principles are different than the House bill, that will slow it down, not speed it up. If they more or less defer to the House, which is what they had agreed to do earlier, but they may now be changing then it's still – you're going to very possibly get it done in the House by August. Uh, And that if the Speaker wants to ram it through and members are willing to walk the plank. But you're going to find the Senate won't be able to. And and you've already had four or five Republican senators express doubts, three quite critical – or four, actually – Purdue of Georgia, Rounds of North Dakota, Thune of South Dakota, and Cornyn of Texas, either extreme doubts or reservations or no – you have 52 senators that can pass it on a reconciliation bill that are Republicans, so you've already run into some political trouble. So, and uh, Chairman Hatch gave a very interesting speech last week at the Chamber of Commerce where he said— Love my Republican colleagues. You're not going to criticize them. We're going to work with them if we can get it done. But there are lots of other issues at stake here that we have to think through and yes. work on. So I think there's a high probability it, it can pass the Senate because it will be whipped – I mean the House – because it can be whipped hard by the leadership. And then the Senate will find that it has to rebuild the bill in order to pass the Senate. So it's going to be a long, longer process. And by the way, that always happens. I was here in 86. And we Which died. is the last major – major tax reform. We died three deaths and had three resurrections, so and
2: that 's what I was going to say. I think Chairman Brady has been very clear with all of his colleagues. you know this is going to live, die, be on life support, <laughs> and
3: this it 's going to go through
2: a whole
1: you know series of Laurie, let me ask you in the House, uh, you know as we see a bill like this it 's an expensive bill or could be an expensive bill, or it could be neutral, it depends on how it 's crafted, but it seems like in the House uh, the more conservative Freedom caucus folks are going to be watching how it's paid for, I think. Do you think they – do you think uh, Speaker Ryan can pull it together and get them satisfied even if it's not paid for? Or do you think that's going to be one of those points that hang out there? Maybe may be good policy, but the price tag may be too high for some to grab onto. Any thought on that?
2: Well, currently, um, Brady and the Speaker are looking at doing a revenue-neutral mm-hmm. um, package. Right. And um, certainly – I know that I know personally. Chairman Brady is very close to. He has lots of friends in the Freedom Caucus, right. so he's in close contact with them a lot.
1: Trying to keep them informed about how absolutely they're moving forward.
2: do they have ideas. You know, what can we do better here? You know, what is it that concerns you? How do we address those? So I think that you know it'll be they will be an integral part of the process moving forward.
1: You know, we've dealt here at Brownstein with a, a, a variety of clients that talk to us about you know provisions, you know special provisions, but you know some of them that come up it seems. Uh, of concern, uh, and I'll talk about border adjustability in just a second here, but some of the what I call the basics, uh, deductibility for interest on housing, um, charitable con- giving, those kinds of things. W- what do you think, if you could put it, if you could say, here's the one, two, three things that are probably going to be the hot buttons, uh, and I'll ask you, Lori, first, and then Michael, from that you might see is, here's the things that are going to really – and put uh, border adjustability over to the side for a second, but that, that's a whole – its own world. Uh, what would be those things that kind of stick out that, at the end of the day, people are going to be worried about or or Congress just can't figure out how to solve the problem but knows it's a big-ticket item? What, what are those?
2: Well, I think right now, um, when you're talking about mortgage interest deduction, charitable giving deduction um, – um, the child tax credit, education credits, those will actually stay in. The blueprint has already said that those will stay those in. Those safe
1: zones, those are... Safe zones, right. you know,
2: Americans invest... The biggest investment is probably their home. Uh uh-huh. um, You know, we want to encourage charitable giving to right. our communities, our churches, whatever. Right. Um, you know, education and the education tax credit would apply not to just those going to college, but it would also apply to those going to vocational schools. Like, if there's a, a lot welder, of interest on both yes, sides on that. Absolutely. You know, this isn't just about... College kids. I mean, traditional college kids. There's a lot of of demand
1: for trades and and try to create some parity there.
2: Right. And we made a very conscious decision to do that because we realized the economy needs those people. And um, so So what are the hot
1: buttons? What are the things that people are going to go? Oh, my. (laughs) Until we
2: actually see the, the legislative text. Yeah. The hot button is border adjustability. Border
1: right? adjustability—that yeah. seems to be the one that's yeah. kind of boiling behind the scenes.
2: And there's and there's also interest deductibility. Well, I think interest, is, uh, yeah. is, a, is a big so deal for interest deductibility
3: for your home mortgage. But when you get to to business deductibility, that's a huge issue. First of all, and that's banks, interest
1: deductibility. If I can clarify that, that is on borrowed money for improvements or investment that they're making. That's right. That's the big that's issue. That's
3: right. Yes. That's right. But it, it would include also a financial institution that loans. Lends, but it also borrows right, right. It, if it can 't deduct it, its interest, then its whole business model begins to fall apart right so you have banks that borrow and banks and then they lend you have business development companies that borrow and then business development companies that lend the whole private equity model is based on uh, borrowing and and deducting interest and in buying, so you have all kinds of financial services business models and companies in the mezzanine space in the in the middle market space that that have very little or no equity and they borrow at high rates right and they desperately need to deduct that interest or they have to find another way to so do it. So that's going to be a hot button. So that's for the, for oh, it's, a, it's a huge hot button and the chairman knows this and he already has a working group that's working on it. But again, if you eliminate that or you you modify it dramatically then it gets scored differently and then you have less money for other things. The other things. And, and and of course with the border adjustability that will be the huge well, thing let's, 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 the money. And,
2: and one of the things I know that they they view Almost like I won't say an exchange, but one of the good things that business get is they get 100 percent immediate expensing and which is also a big deal,
1: which is the 179 depreciation accelerated. Is that where they can knock off a half? Well, the interest they get the write off right away. And then the expense on equipment, that's always been a great debate for businesses. So this is
3: going to be even more rapid than the last one that passed the Congress. This will okay. be 100% in a year. So it's, a hugely, wow. it's hugely popular for, to business, yeah. but it's also expensive, and it's offset by about the interest deductibility issue probably equals it in dollar amounts. So, again, if you're modifying things on the side, then you have to modify other things if you're going to remain revenue neutral. If you're not revenue neutral, then you create another set of issues both for the economy and for uh, policymakers.
1: Do you think, uh, I'll ask this one last question on this, and I want to talk a little about uh, border adjustability, which is kind of a tax and trade issue, but um, do, do you think that the business community... Because you don't hear them a lot yet, you hear them kind of on the edges, kind of watching what's going on. But they're not in full, what I call full full court press. They're not in the the let's go get you know this issue resolved or that issue resolved. Do you think there's a wait and see right now from the business community, or do you think they're just kind of gearing up and it's calm before the storm that they're about ready to unleash on some of these issues? What, what's your sense, Lori or Michael? What's
2: Well, Senator, that's a very good question. (laughs) Um, When it's
1: quiet, I get nervous. You know, when, when, when the constituency groups aren't saying anything you wonder what's going on behind the scenes here.
2: Well, I think, um, based on, I know, uh, meetings that chairman Brady had before I left the Hill back home in Texas or here in DC. Obviously he's listening to both sides, yeah. but overall, I, th- I think overall he's had a very positive reaction to it when he starts talking about some of the details and they're very excited that, you know, this is based on growth, you know, trying to grow the economy, keep jobs here in the United States. And, um, You know, just trying to increase their growth and jobs.
3: But but you know, uh, Senator, you're not in the Senate anymore, so they're not screaming and yelling at you. (laughs) But which I appreciate more (laughs) than you can imagine. The Koch brothers (laughs) have a full throated organized. Campaign against the border adjustability tax. The oil and gas industry, which is very supportive of Republicans in general and doesn't want to threaten that relationship, nonetheless is full-throated in its opposition. Agricultural groups are gearing up, and they're pretty full-throated in their opposition for reasons that we can discuss. But uh, I would not. And and the re, the retail industry, Best Buy, uh, uh, Target. Walmart, mm-hmm. right? we have, I mentioned this before, we have two senators from Arkansas, Walmart's pretty important, and they're both Republicans, pretty important players. So, th- these private entities are in full-throated opposition to the border adjustability. Let's talk
1: tax. about the border adjustability. This, you know, we, and I should
2: clarify, I was talking about overall. Right. Yeah, overall no, I the,
1: think your yeah. point was very good, that it was kind of the overall. Now, specifically on border adjustability, we do have these constituents groups growing for sure. I mean, even recently when the president met with a bunch of retailers, this was hot topic. Most Americans probably don't understand border adjustment, adjustability. They 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 say, well, I don't know what that is. Some simplify and say, well, whatever happens, you're going to get, you're going to pay for it, right? That's one of the arguments, right? right? (laughs) And so that's how the I think as it unfolds, that's probably going to be one of the talking points that the opposition will have. Mm -hmm. So what is for the people who are listening in a nutshell what what's the value and what's the non-value of border adjustability what's the argument for people who want to do it what's what why do they think this is like i don't want to say the holy grail but very important and this is like the moment to do it
2: well michael can explain in better economic terms than i can about this but i do know what drove them to this which is um you know chairman brady in all the years they've been working on these um you know what kind of tax reform we're going to have one of the um You know, they looked at, they analyzed and looked at other systems around the world and discovered that 160 companies, 160 countries, in other words, our competitors, in some way, shape, or form use border adjustability in their tax code, which helps their jobs and their workers. And they discovered that the United States was only one of a few, including North Korea and Cuba, that did not use border <laughs> not adjustability. Not company we like to keep. <laughs> very no.
1: yeah. Very, very <laughs> private sector uh, yes. countries.
2: Right. So, um, you know, I think probably one of the biggest drivers of comprehensive tax reform is how do you get rid of the perverse incentives that drive American jobs, headquarters, IP, R&D, overseas? Mm-hmm. And this is one of the cleanest ways to do it. I'm not saying that there aren't going to be people that are, aren't opposed to it, sure. but it is probably one of the cleanest ways to do it in terms of
3: yeah. what, tax code. No, people, people don't don't clean, like it, what's their – Well, let's, let's begin. It's clean as a whistle. So it solves all the problems that we've been crying about, both the Democrats and Republicans in recent years, jobs being located abroad, headquarters abroad, inversions. Solves all of it. Because it takes those are all about where you're going to have be taxed on your income tax, on your corporate income tax. This says nothing to do with corporate income tax. We're we're taxing consumption at the border. Okay? And then if you export, it gets rebated. So we're really moving from a corporate income tax to a corporate consumption tax. And as Laurie said, it's just like the value-added tax, except, and this is a very big except, you can deduct your labor costs. So we don't know if it's going to be WTO legal or not, if it's going to be consistent with our existing trade agreements, because to a lot of people, this looks like a tariff, and then you rebate it when uh, when you export it. And what the economists will tell you is that, well, if you really look at it, uh, the, your currencies will adjust. So your dollar will be higher and their currency will be lower. And therefore, you don't really—it it really doesn't function like a tariff. Well, then a lot of people who export and they don't import in order to export, like a, a, a soybeans, right? You're not importing a lot of foreign goods in order to make that soybeans and export. You're just exporting it, right? All of a sudden, you're saying, well, whoa, I now have a – 10 to 20% appreciation in the dollar, and my soybeans are more expensive than Brazilian soybeans. Now, who are the Japanese going to buy? Right. So – and the oil and gas industry is saying the same thing about product that it refines abroad and – I mean, it makes abroad and refines here and so on and so forth. So it, 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 there are winners and losers, and right now, a lot of the people who are very dependent on imports – especially all the retailers, but many, many other types of manufacturers are very worried that the economic outcome of this will be negative for them. So it's a a huge issue, but it solves a huge issue. And what Laurie and I also know, and we haven't discussed yet, is that it raises $1.2 trillion. So it finances all the other things we like in the bill. Right. So it
1: actually, there, there's the. the I mean, that's the silver lining for a big reform is you got to find the money, and this is one piece of the puzzle. that's simple in its in the concept of it, but it has opposition that could be aggressive. But the number is so large, it might outweigh that opposition. But is that a?
3: I think more in the House than the Senate. More in the Senate. Yeah.
1: And do you, let me uh, pause, I guess, on this, because I think this leads us right into our next topic, which is trade. And, but uh, for on tax policy, I want to say to both of you, thank you very much for participating. And Lori, you, you're, you're new, but you know it. Uh, oh, thank you. And Michael <laughs> has tons of history. so There's a great combination to talk about tax policy. I always sure. remember
3: that history, though.
1: Yeah. Uh, you do pretty good. Uh, that's what we like here at Brownstein, our variety of people that work here create great opportunity to give the clients the information they need from a variety. Viewpoint. So thank you both for being part of the tax policy discussion today. Thank
2: you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Visit www.bhfs.com for more information.